Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. This week will be kind of a standalone uh, message where I want to talk about uh, the victory of Jesus and what it has accomplished and what it kind of means for us, um, specifically as, as a church, as a church family and that kind of thing. Um, I do want to say this, and, and uh, I apologize, and Stephanie, where's Stephanie? she already leave? And she's quick. Uh, Stephanie's going to help me out on social media. We'll also do an app push this week. Um, starting next week, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, we're going to d- move into a series on, on relationships. Um, it's called The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. And uh, it's always fun to talk about those topics in church. Um, but it's something that I think is very much needed. Uh, but this series, it, it's, going, it, it's actually something that comes from another pastor, um, and it's, it's a work that I, I respect so much. It's something that we are going through with our children, um, something I wish had been available when I was a youngster. Uh, youngster. Uh, tells you how old I am that I'm saying youngster, but um, it's something really important. And so we'll be doing a, a push throughout the week through social media, through the app, so you can actually buy the book that I'll be teaching from. You can read through it as we go along um, and join in with these lessons. Uh, but I think it's something that's going to be very beneficial if you have children, especially if you have teenagers, if you're a single person, or maybe you're a person that's single again, um, or if you're just a, a married person or no married people. Like, it's all good stuff. Um, and so I, I think it's really going to bless us. I think it's so needed in our our day and time. Um, there's just a lot of noise out there. There are a lot of different messages going on in our world, and so we're just going to take some time over the next few weeks and kind of talk about some things uh, from a Bible perspective, and I think you're going to be blessed by this. Um, it's, it's something, again, that I found um, just so tremendously blessing in our lives, uh, our personal life with Chelsea and me and, and, and the kids. So that's starting next week, and we'll have more information. Pay attention to social media and your app pushes, all right? Uh, one other thing that I want to say before I get started, so good to see Tony and Sarah. Where'd, where'd your better half go? She's, she's checking kids in. Tony and Sarah and, and Hody and, and Clover, it's so good to see y'all. Can we give them a big welcome back? There's Sarah. She's sneaking in the back. Everybody turn and look at her very awkwardly and just... Yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see them. I'm so glad that they're here, um, soon to be missionaries. Now, is it still... Actually, Burkina Faso, West Africa. That's what I thought. I thought there was, yeah, okay. So I thought there was some, somebody's really excited about that. So I, th- I thought there was some, some, uh, some stuff with that and maybe even with that being um, so close to the other Muslim countries, maybe even being something that we don't want to say publicly, but um, soon to be missionaries over there. And uh, we're, we're so happy to see you all again before you head back. There's opportunities to support their, their missions efforts, and you can come talk to me, come talk to Lacey about that um, as well if you're interested, church family, those, those that have known Tony and Sarah for, um, you know, from time before they deserted us. Um, but anyway, uh, that's happening soon. But man, so glad you guys are here. Looking forward to spending some time with you guys. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I love um, how, how you're giving your, you, you, y'all are all in. And I, I love that. I love that. Um, and, and what they are doing kind of really ties into what I want to talk about today, what they're doing, what we are doing. It's really something very, very big. This thing that we call the church, this idea of belonging to the church of Jesus Christ, like this is huge, y'all. This is a big deal. 
that God has called us to be a part of. And part of my passion with God's help is, is to kind of help us not get so like small focused and us focused, even as we do all these renovations and have small groups going on here and all that kind of good stuff. We have to focus on here, obviously, but understanding how here ties into the bigger there, the scale and the scope of what God is doing. I want us to kind of, I want our thinking in our hearts to kind of be called up and higher into something that kind of transcends, you know, our, our, our normal day day-to-day lives and experiences, um, it, it, and, and even our small size. You know, compared to our city, we're not that big of a church. We're really not. But with God's help, as we partner into this really big thing that God is doing, God is going to use this church, and I really believe this, we're going to leave a mark in history. We're, we're going to make a dent in this world. I really believe that. And so I love what we are beginning to do as a church family. And when I say that, I, I want to pause for a moment and say this. This iteration of the church family, this generation of the church family, we have been handed an incredible opportunity from the generation of this church family before. Like we've been put into an awesome, awesome position. And, and so I, you know, I honor my, my parents, uh, Bishop and Sister Alvarez. I honor the Paynes, the Van Loos, uh, you know, the Collins family, James, the Sicaros family, the Nichols family. I'm sure I'm going to forget some other families. And y'all have been around so long, you know that you have permission to yank my ear. And Sister Brandon, she's always yanking my ear. She's always sending me messages to watch of better preachers than me. I'm not sure what that's about, but, you know, uh, um, but listen, we're beginning to do some amazing things at City Grace, but we are not the beginning. This did not start with our current generation of the church. This started on Sunday afternoons in Motel 6, right, Dad? Remember, Mom, when we lived in the church over on Travis Boulevard? That church building's not even there yet, or there anymore. We lived in that building. We used to take showers in the baptistry. It was awesome. There was a baptistry there, and we had to rig a water hose from the kitchen to run there. And I can remember one time Bishop was shampooing his hair. You know, he got shampoo on his hair, and Mom called us all to the front row, and then she opened the curtain on the baptistry, and we all watched my dad take a shower and shampoo his hair. It wasn't as weird as it sounds right now. Sorry. Maybe I should say the baptistry only lets you see from chest up. So, yeah, there, there we go. But it, it was Megalot sales. Who here remembers Megalot sales? I can't believe y'all are cheering for that. That was a horrible period of our church history. But Megalot sales, having huge sales in the parking lot of that church. Um, and then 19 or so years ago, we moved to this new home base, opened the preschool. Um, and, and, you know, this summer, I was reading in the Old Testament recently and what Zechariah was doing and rebuilding the temple and everything. And I love this verse in Zechariah 4 and 10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Wow. The Lord rejoices. What's it sound like when the Lord rejoices? What's it look like when God gets off the throne and cuts a rug? Like, what's that, you know? Like I, I, and God is rejoicing over what we are doing, City Grace. So this is bigger than us. This is a huge thing that we're a part of. We just met with another co uh, coordinator within the community on Thursday. Um, there are tons more opportunities for serving, giving, loving our neighbors in Fairfield. And so I'm so excited about what God is beginning to do through us. Even though we're not the beginning in this generation, all of us stand on the shoulders of the generation before. But how does this tie in with the mission of the church? Like, Jared, what, what, what does this have to do with the Great Commission 
as we call it, right? The, the baptism and the forgiveness of sins. What does, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit and, and teaching disciples and making disciples? And, and first of all, I, I think that we have to understand, first of all, firstly, and this is huge, not just for us, but for all of Christianity, we have to understand the nature of sin. We have to understand what it is that sin does to people. If we're going to be offering the forgiveness of sins and then somehow saying that that extends into what we do for the world around us, we have to understand that Sin is not about just breaking a bunch of random rules. That sin is about what we do to each other and how we hurt each other. And so, by extension, it is the things that we do to hurt and to break our relationship with God. Paul talked about this all through the New Testament. Jesus talked about it so radically. Paul, one time in Romans chapter 13, verse 9, he he talked about the Old Testament law and, and commandments. He said the commandments, like, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be, like just in case I missed some, which he did, there were 600 and what, like nine other ones. All of those other commands are summed up in this one command. This, this is it. It's all boiled down to this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, because it's impossible to love someone and steal from them. It's impossible to love someone and murder them. Like that doesn't even work and we kind of get that. And so the sins that the church is calling people to repent over, it's not like, hey, you guys broke a bunch of random rules against God, but rather you have been living your life in ways that have hurt the people that you love. This is not a broken and distant thing that you have been doing. It is a way of life you have been engaged with that has ruined opportunities, that has broken your future, that has put you into, into captivity to addictions and other behaviors that are now destroying your future. And yes, God is calling you to ask for forgiveness for those things, but more than that, God wants to change you into the kind of person who doesn't bring continual pain into your world because we're all made in the image of God. And so if you are hurting a brother or sister or husband or wife or kids or whatever it is, then you are by extension hurting your relationship with your God. And this isn't comfortable for us longtime Christians to think about, you know, like, well, do we do away with the rules? What's this, you know, how does this play in with the Ten Commandments and all this? But Jesus was radical on this point. Like Jesus even said one time, hey, if you're bringing an offering to God, like you're going to church and you got your offering, you're going to say thank you, Jesus, and all this other stuff, and you remember that you have beef with somebody, that you're in an argument with somebody, that somebody has done you wrong or you have done someone else wrong, he said drop your offering right there, go all the way back home, and make things right with that person, and then come back and give your offering to God. And that was so offensive to his audience. These were the God people. These were the, the Jewish people. They knew God's law and God's will. And so Jesus, are you, you trying to say that we love God after we love others? And Jesus would have said to them, no, what I'm trying to teach you is that you love God by loving others. And it radically changed everything in the way that we orient ourselves with God and religion and, and relationships with God and relationships with each other. So we have been called out of our self-serving lives of personal sin. We have been forgiven. Hello, somebody. 
We have been healed, and, and there's still transformation process going on uh, in that area. And last week we talked about we have been filled with his spirit to give us the strength that we need. And now, as forgiven people, as baptized into the body people, as the newly formed Jesus people, we now turn from our interaction with God, and we face back out into our broken world, and we take this same love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness that we have received, and it flows through us into a broken and a hurting world. When we do things for people and love on people and forgive people and give to people, we are telling them this is what it looks like when Jesus is king. See, we give to show what it looks like when Jesus is king. We forgive to show what it looks like when Jesus is king. We love People who are sometimes seemingly unlovable, but we do it to show what it looks like when Jesus is king because he loved us when we were unlovable. We serve to show this is what our king looks like, and this is what it's going to be like when his kingdom covers the earth. As the Old Testament put it, when the knowledge of God covers the earth like the oceans cover the sea, like the waters cover the sea. Like, how does that even work? How does water cover a sea so that one day the knowledge of God will be throughout the whole earth. And so that's why all these shoes are on stage. We don't do this to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We don't do this so we can break our arm trying to pat ourselves on the back. We do this to show what it's going to be like in God's new world. That starting with this simple gesture, one day when God rules over everything, nobody's going to need a new pair of shoes and not be able to afford it. This is why we give to feed the hungry, not to make ourselves feel good, but to show people, to point to a day in God's brand new world when no one will ever be without food again. Can I hear an amen from somebody who wants Jesus to reign over everything? And so everything, everything that we do is in Jesus' name. Hello. Everything that we do is in Jesus' name. And that doesn't mean that you just say the words in Jesus' name over it. You are bringing the reign of Jesus, Jesus' name, Jesus' authority into our actions, into what we do. And I'm not talking about some distant point in the future. Hello, I'm talking about here and now and today and tomorrow and shoe day on March 1st. God's eternal reign is coming into our world through you and through me. So see, this is how it happens. God's kingdom advances now. Everybody say now. now. As redeemed people give time, talent, and treasure to bring the beauty and wisdom of God's reign into our world. And it happens heart by invited heart. And so we're looking always for more people to, to, to join us, to people that are sick of sin and heartache and sick of the division and the hate in the world and sick of all the broken ways that all of us used to live. None of us are good people on our own. No, you don't want to know any of us without Jesus. That's right. Especially me. Turn around and point at somebody close to you and tell them, especially you. We are looking, we are looking for a different kind of world, amen? And so God's kingdom comes through us so that his will can be done on earth as in heaven. And so we're beginning to do some amazing things, but we're not the beginning. And I'm not just talking about the City Grace family, now I'm talking about the church in general. We're beginning to do some amazing things uh, as this church 
Um, but even our local church family in this generation, we're not the beginning. The church has actually been doing amazing things for 2,000 years. And the history and the beginning of Jesus' church are absolutely remarkable, which means, which means, church, we have a huge responsibility. We have an incredible privilege, yes, but we have a huge responsibility. Think, one day we're going to stand face to face with Peter and Paul and John and Mary and Andrew and the other disciples, with Jesus himself. We're going to stand face to face and we're going to have to give an account with, of what we do with what they kicked off. And that might not bug you and you might not think about that very much, but that gives me the cold sweats. Like, I'm nervous about that. I want to hear him say, well, well done, well done. And not when he's talking about my steak at the marriage supper of the lamb. I want to, well, we have to know what we're a part of. You have to know what you have been called to. You have to know your heritage and your mission. And so I am the chief reminding officer of the Fairfield branch of the Jesus movement. It is my job to get up here and remind us over and over and over again what is so important about the history of Jesus' church. And we talked about this a little bit last week. The reason that this is so important, one of the reasons that this is so important is because Christians can get bored just maintaining faith. We talked about the this, this song Oceans and how it hit the Christian world, you know, took it by storm last week. We talked about that and how that we're not meant to live like in, in these holy huddles until Jesus limps back from heaven and sounds the retreat. That's not the way that we are meant to exist. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the victorious, overcoming church, and the gates of hell, the gates of death themselves, cannot stand against what Jesus has purposed for us to accomplish as his church. And so if you're just trying to live for God, you know, revolving around your personal sin and whether or not you're good enough to go to heaven or, you know, our day-to-day -day lives do not have the gravity to keep our worlds or to keep our faith in orbit. I am too small. You are too small of a thing to live out the rest of your life for. We have to live for something bigger than ourselves. And if you're here today and you're thinking about plugging back into church, you know, maybe you were a Christian before, but you haven't been in a while. Maybe the experience that you had didn't last because you weren't living for the big reason that Jesus called you to be a part of. Maybe you got stuck in that cycle of guilt management. And we've talked about that sometimes in church, that sometimes people see church as just a system of guilt management. Like I do some bad things and I feel guilty about it, so I go to church and I ask somebody to help me pray a prayer of forgiveness, and now I don't feel guilty about it anymore. And then I walk back out the doors thinking I don't need Jesus anymore because there's no more guilt. And the only time we think about God or church or religion is funerals and weddings and when we feel guilty about something. And Jesus has called us to so much more than that. He promised life and life to the full. He promised to give us eternal life, the kind and the quality of life that is worth lasting forever all the way into God's beautiful future. And so that's not what Jesus called us to. And living as part of his church is a calling to be adventurous and to be challenged by the Spirit. And, and people living as his church in history, they have changed the world. We live in a changed world because of what they have done. But God wants to change the world again. God wants to change the word world still, and it's going to happen through us. And so as we give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, 
then all of the things that we wrestle with and struggle with privately, all, the, all of the things that God is using to, to get our attention, all of the dissatisfaction that we feel with things that we chase, and it wasn't even that we didn't get those things we chased, but maybe we got them and it turned out that they were empty after all. But with Jesus, all of our personal pains, all of our disappointments that we face individually can be redeemed by God to equip us as the church to march out into a hurting and broken world and share and bring the healing and the hope that we have found. And so we've got to understand this as the church. We've got to understand this. The church is bigger than me. Hello, the church is going to outlast me. And it's going to outlast you. And the church may move through me. God's kingdom might advance through me, but it does not depend on me. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So these things, these ideas right here, and I'm sure there's more. This is just a short list of three. These understandings drove the early Christians, and it's why we have a church history at all. The concepts here are why non-Jewish people like you and me have access into the kingdom, have access to the mercy and the forgiveness of God. This is why letters were written. And then through history and archaeology, those letters were recovered and and grouped together and bound together into what we now call our Bible. This is why people gave up their lives. Hello, people have died for the faith that we thank God for today. People have died so that we can be here. That is sobering. It is sobering when we think about some of the things that we pray and beg God for. But people gave up their lives. They believed in what they had experienced. They believed in what they, had saw, what they had seen. And they understood that it had to go beyond themselves. And so they paid great sacrifices and in some cases paid the ultimate sacrifice so that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ could go way, way, way beyond their world. And we are sitting here today and standing here today and lifting our hands today and singing today because of what has been passed down from people who knew that it was worth it. And these people did it all to move a movement forward. And it worked. And it worked. Today, today, in places that we will never visit today, in languages that we will never even hear spoken, the hope that we sing about, the mercy and the forgiveness that we thank God for, it's being praised and talked about in those places and in those languages because Christians have gotten a hold of these ideas and decided to give their lives to taking the Jesus movement beyond their world. And the hope and the future that we find in the name of Jesus has spread around the globe just like Jesus predicted it would 2,000 2,000 years ago, just like Jesus predicted you would 2,000 years ago. See, we're not talking about somebody else anymore. We are the church. Come on, say it with me. We are the church. Oh, come on, say it one more time. Believe it. Come on. We are the church. We're the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. He purchased with his own blood. Come on, can you lift up your hands and thank him this morning for what he has called us to? Come on, come on, with real heartfelt thanksgiving this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, we having the benefit of history, I mean, we, we see, of course, it worked, right? We, we can't imagine 
a world without Christianity, but to those people, the people of that day of the first century, that tiny dusty corner of the Roman Empire and, and, and with the Jewish temple system and, and Rome itself was so big and so mighty, it must have seemed impossible when this Jesus movement kicked off. Hello. Rome was everything in that day. Rome ruled the world with their army and their technology and their commerce and their government and, and the religion of Rome that they didn't even, weren't even necessarily you know, really strict about. They let everybody worship whatever they wanted. But imagine, can you imagine going into that first century world and telling a Roman, maybe even telling a Roman emperor that, hey, you know, one day this whole empire will be history? But you know those few Jews over there in Israel that are, you know, starting this quote-unquote knockoff religion? One day, their little thing that they're starting will become the official religion of this very empire? Can you imagine telling a Roman that one day Rome and the empire of Rome will be nothing more than a chapter in history textbooks? But the Jesus movement will be in every, every I was going to say every corner of the globe, but that's, that's a saying, but it doesn't make much sense, does it? It's going to be in every corner of the globe, like in all these languages, in all of these places. The Jesus movement is going to go everywhere, and it's going to outlast Rome. They would think we were crazy, right? We would tell them, hey, do you remember that so-called revolutionary that one of your, your, your governors had crucified over in Judea? Judea, where, where's Judea? You know, over there in Israel. Do you remember that revolutionary that your guy Pilate just ordered the execution of him? And he's nothing more than a Jewish carpenter. And Pilate himself didn't even find him guilty of insurrection. Do you remember that? He's going to outlast you. He's going to be more famous than you. And Jesus, this guy that you had crucified, claimed to be the unique son of the Jewish creator God. And you killed him. But now people are saying that they have seen him alive again. And it started with just a few women, and, and then it spread to a few more men. But pretty soon, a few more people re reported it. And then another group of people reported it. And then at one time, over 500 people gathered together at once say, We saw the risen Jesus, and he is not dead anymore. He is alive. They would tell us that we're, we're being ridiculous. Nobody gets up from the dead. Nobody especially gets up from the death when Rome has crucified them. It was what Rome had done best. The cross was a symbol of Rome's power. They crucified tons of revolutionaries, and none of them ever got back up. They nailed them and broke their legs until they suffocated to death. And it was a symbol of Rome's might. It was a symbol of Rome's sovereignty. Line up or you'll get nailed up. And they had crucified tons of people. But you're telling me that a simple Jewish carpenter's following will one day become the religion of this empire and even outlast this empire? They would tell us, look around the city of Rome. Look at all of the temples in Rome and all of the images and statues that are dedicated to the Roman gods of Jupiter and Neptune and, and Mars. And we have priesthoods and religious systems for every temple and religious practices that have existed for hundreds of years. We don't need another religion. And we would say to them, Emperor, one day all of those temples in Rome will be gone. Emperor, one day all of those priesthood systems will disappear 
And those religious practices will be forgotten. And all over this city where you now see images of all your gods, there will instead be crosses put up, cross statues and cross paintings and cross engravings everywhere, not as a symbol of Rome's power, but as a symbol of the love of the creator God that was given to us in Jesus Christ. And if your Roman gods will one day no longer be served, then your Roman gods aren't gods at all. Wow. Can you imagine how impossible this must have seemed when all of that was going on? Can you imagine when the Jerusalem power brokers were still in cahoots with Rome and and, and biding their time until their Messiah showed up? And and when he came, when their Messiah came, there was going to be a reckoning. And boy, Rome was going to pay. And judgment and blood and death for the Romans. And the Jewish people couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for their Messiah to show up. And the Jewish world of Jesus' day was such a strange mix of religion and and politics, and all of it swelled together and boiled over when Jesus showed up on the scene because suddenly this Jewish rabbi was drawing crowds, and he was doing things. The things that he was doing were all signs that pointed to him being the Jewish Messiah. Hey, this is the guy that we have been waiting for, but he's not treating Rome like we wanted him to treat Rome. He's not the kind of Messiah we wanted. He wasn't doing what they expected Messiah to do to the sinners. Instead of punishing the sinners, he seemed to enjoy their company. In fact, the people who liked Jesus the most seemed the most unlike Jesus. In fact, the stories that he told seemed to say that the Creator God enjoyed the company of sinners more than he enjoyed the company of those pious men that walked around with long, stern faces and did random acts that benefited nobody but their own self-righteousness. And then two things happened. One, Jesus raised a man from the dead. And once Jesus raised somebody from the dead, well, then we got to do something about Jesus now. This, this was it. If the religious power brokers didn't stop him after this sign, then everybody would follow him. And if everybody followed Jesus, then nobody would follow them. And so in John eleven forty eight, 48, he said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day on, they plotted to kill Jesus. And then Jesus made matters worse for them. And he predicted that one day their temple system would be completely overthrown. Jesus predicted that one day the temple that they worshiped at and and revered, and he predicted, this is amazing. If you have doubts and you're skeptical about the whole Jesus thing, you need to know this. 40 years before it actually happened, 10 years before it actually happened, Matthew wrote what Jesus said, but Jesus said it 40 years before it actually happened. He predicted that their whole temple would be destroyed, and the stones used to build it would be thrown down from being on stacked on top of each other. One day as they're walking away from Jerusalem, his disciples get him to look back up at the temple. They say, Jesus, look at this amazing temple glistening on the hill. Oop, oop, go back. Oh, well. There's a picture behind there. You guys can kind of see it. There's this temple, and it's amazing, and it's glistening on the hill in the sunlight, and isn't that something Like one day when you start your church, is it going to look something like this? And Jesus tells them, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every single one will be thrown down. Come on, Jesus. That's crazy talk. Who's going to throw this down? This is God's temple. And we're God's people. 
And not only that, but we have the, the backing and the protection of Rome. Surely you don't think that this little thing that we're doing one day is going to overthrow that, right? And not long after this conversation, Jesus had so upset the religious leaders of his day that the plots against him would come together. Not long after this conversation, they would arrest Jesus and he would be lied on and handed to the Romans for execution. And Jesus would be nailed to a Roman cross, betrayed by the leaders of a soon-to-be-dead religion that Jesus had condemned. And for a while, it seemed like Jesus' prediction was just the fanciful thoughts of a deluded dreamer and his followers all scattered. And when Jesus died, the church, the church died with Jesus. Think about that. He's been around for three years talking about this movement. Been around for three years talking about how the temple is going to be destroyed. But when Jesus died, everybody left. Nobody was a hero. No one kept the faith. No one hit to Amazon with a brand new published book, 10 Things Said by a Really Smart Dead Guy. Nobody took to the streets to start a new religion based on a good man's teachings. They had seen plenty of good teachers. They had seen plenty of wise men die before, but Jesus had claimed to be something more than a good teacher. Jesus claimed to be something more than another philosopher. He claimed to be the hope of a dead and dying world. He claimed to be the light of a world that was living in darkness. He claimed to be the bread of life for people like you and me who were so hungry for meaning and for depth to life and none of it mattered before Jesus. He claimed to be the water of life when nothing else that we tried ever satisfied that when we and when they would come to Jesus that we could drink and never thirst again. But when he died all of those things seemed untrue. And so his movement died because you can't kill the hope of the world. You can't snuff out the light of the world. And if people were to ask Peter, the other disciples during those three days, hey, do you still believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Peter would have said, no, because the Messiah can't die. Peter, do you still believe that he was the living or the son of the living God? No, I'm not sure I believe that anymore because he's dead now. How can he be the son of the living God? Peter, he said some awesome things about kindness and, and forgiveness and peace. Peter would say it doesn't matter because his claims were about who we thought he was. Peter, do you still think he's going to build a church, an ecclesia, a movement, a new world? No, because he's dead now. And from Friday, which was the first day, until Sunday, which was the third day, the Jesus movement, the church of Jesus Christ was dead and buried with Jesus. And on Sunday morning, there was nobody standing outside the tomb to give a countdown. There was nobody there going, 10, 9, 8. Here he comes, right? There was nobody there. Women were on their way to the tomb with more spices, right? To re-prepare the body of Jesus. Do you know why they went there with more spices to re-prepare the dead body of Jesus? Because men had done it the first time. Yeah, my wife gets that joke. Maybe nobody else does. But they went to the tomb because they expected to find a dead Jesus. Because when people die, they usually stay what? 
But what they found was an empty tomb. What they found was a risen Jesus. And suddenly on the third day, on that Sunday morning, men and women who had lost all faith, who had started to lose all of their hope, began to hope again. Could it really be? Could he really be alive? Maybe he is the son of the living God. Maybe he is the resurrection and the life. Maybe he is the water of the life and the light of the world. Maybe he is the one to give us a new future. See, they, believe in a, they believed in a resurrection, but a resurrection was for everybody, and it was way in the future. This would be a resurrection in their present, and it was only one body, but something happened that was undeniable, and it erased all of their doubts and their fears. And suddenly, when Jesus rose again, the church rose again with Jesus. And where hope had been lost, thank God, hope was reborn. When things looked like they were too far gone, suddenly new possibilities existed. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Where our hero had been put to death by sin and injustice, suddenly new life had sprung into existence. And it's the same message for you and for me today. What is dead in your life that it seems like there's no way it can live again? Bring it to the one who got up from the grave what seems beyond hope what seems beyond healing what seems too far gone bring it to Jesus oh come on if anybody knows what I'm talking about can you clap your hands can you give him praise as testimony this morning the church was alive again but it was a new kind of church it was a new kind of movement it wasn't built on ancient philosophies. It was built on the identity of someone who had come back to life in a brand new way. It was a movement built on a new kind of love, with a new kind of forgiveness, and a new kind of power. And if Jesus had offered forgiveness to sinners, had offered love and redemption to sinners for a few years before, then Jesus would now offer love and redemption and forgiveness to sinners for the rest of time. And that's why you're here. And that's why I'm here. Because Jesus got up again. It's why we can boldly come to a holy Savior because that's the kind of Savior He is. It's why we're not afraid to ask for forgiveness because He has shown us that that's the kind of Savior He is. It's why we expect mercy because that's just who Jesus is. But, the old religions, the old power systems, and the old corrupt uh, religious leaders, 40 years after Jesus talked about it, and 40 years after he died in AD 70, the Roman general Titus would finish his father's work at the siege of Jerusalem, and they breached the walls of that city, and when they got done, they were ordered to tear down the temple, and they took it apart and threw every stone down into the valley below, and you can still see the rubble in Jerusalem today, just as Jesus had predicted 40 years before. Just as Jesus. How, how did he know? How could he know? And ancient Judaism was dead. Rome didn't know it, but it was dying. But, but Jesus' church was alive. And it was alive because Jesus was alive. And before he left for the final time, he gathered his followers around him. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. Everybody say all. all. 
authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, they just seen him hanging on a cross a little while ago. And now he's standing right in front of them alive. And he's not leaning on an IV pole. Doesn't have a bandage around his head. He didn't come back from the dead. He seemed to have passed through death and won a victory over death. And he was alive in a brand new and a surprising way. You, isn't it interesting in all of the stories where Jesus appeared to people after he rose from the dead, they didn't recognize him? There was something different about him. There was something amazing. Some kind of transformation had taken place and the man had passed to immortality. He stood in front of them and he said, all authority has been given to me. To which they said, duh, you got back up from the dead. Okay, we're with you. And so he said, therefore, based on me getting all of that authority, here's what I want to do with my authority. Here's how I want to channel my authority through you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now think about this. At this point, it's still a tiny movement. The temple hasn't been thrown down. Rome's still in power. The same soldiers that had put him on a cross just 40 days before this, they're still walking the same streets. And now you want us to go out into the streets and tell them that you're around to get Jesus? We're not sure about it. And then you don't want us to just stand here in Jerusalem. You want us to go to all nations. All nations means all languages, Jesus. I could have been, you know, using the Rosetta Stone if you had just given us a little heads up. I could have been prepping myself on Roman culture. Jesus, I don't know that we're going to be able to get this done. How are we going to be able to accomplish this? And risen, resurrected Jesus is standing in front of them like, is anything impossible now? And he tells them, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then, like we talked about last week, then he left. I am with you. And then he left. But even though he left them, he did not leave them alone. And 10 days later, in an upper room in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit swept in with the sound of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire on each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God enabled them. And they began to proclaim the good news of a risen Savior. They began to proclaim the good news of a redemption deemed future. They began to proclaim the good news of forgiveness of sins and a brand new belonging to the Jesus family. And they didn't just do it in one language. They did it in all the languages of all the people there because Jesus had promised that he would be with them always through the power of the Holy Spirit and this early group of believers that had seen him die and, and stopped believing but then seen him alive and started believing again now that he had been filled with the power to do what Jesus had told them to do and nothing was going to stop the church. Nothing was going to stop the church. City Grace, nothing was going to stop 
the church, City Grace, nothing is going to stop the mercy of God from flowing. City Grace, nothing is going to stop the forgiveness and the healing that he promised from coming to your family and your coworker and your neighbor. But it may not come outside of you. Hello, you've been called to be part of what Jesus began. You are the church and Jesus' hope and Jesus' presence and Jesus' power will come through you. They started turning the world upside down. Suddenly, suddenly, first day of church, 3,000 new people get baptized and sign up for growth track. First day of church, David and Melissa are scrambling to fill all, to find group leaders for all the small groups. 3,000 people there. Thousands, thousands of people joining the church. The church. And the church was born and the Jesus movement was moving. And it led people into a radical, different kind of life. A life that looked a lot like what Jesus had been doing during his time. And they began to love the unlovable and they began to care for the poor and the sick. They began to radically give up their way of life to welcome others and to benefit other God image bearers in their world. Acts 2 verses 44 and 45 says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, they didn't just have church on Sunday. Hello. That got quiet. Let me go on. Every day, they first Wednesday, Okay, I'm just going to move on. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and then they broke bread in their homes. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them, break bread. They bro- <laughs> Inside family joke. My family will appreciate that. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And notice this, church. Notice this, Christians of 2019. Enjoying the favor of all the people. See, the Jesus movement, when it started, it was irresistible to the world. It was something that the world couldn't get enough of. God, help us to regain that reputation in our world today. God, help us to regain that allure and that attraction as God's Spirit flows through us. Can I hear an amen? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Their good deeds for the people earned them the goodwill of the people and gave them opportunity to open the gospel to the people. And then Paul started taking the church outside of Israel and he traveled all over the Mediterranean rim. And for 30 years, Paul gave his life to starting Jesus gatherings all over the Roman world. And for 30 years, Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and mocked and stoned and driven out of cities by unbelievers, left for dead, attacked by wild animals. He was arrested, and then finally in his mid-60s, Paul was arrested a second time and taken to Rome. And this time, when he went to Rome, he knew that it was bad because the emperor was Nero. And Paul knew it was going to be the end, and his work would be over. And Paul knew that he didn't have very many mornings left on the planet. and He wouldn't be starting any more gatherings, no new assemblies of Jesus followers in his world. It was going to have to be passed on to the next generation. It was going to have to be left to the up-and-coming Christians 
of his day. Now, go with me for a little bit, if we can, if we can imagine ourselves to be there and to talk with Paul, because that world was so foreign to what we know now, and it was, it was so brutal, and it was so final. And whatever the evil Nero wanted, whatever the emperor wanted, the emperor got. And when you study the history of Nero and how cruel and, and vindictive he was, it's just horrible, it's terrible. If you look at him and whatever pleased his sickened and depraved heart, Nero got. And Christians had become the targets of Nero, and he hated them especially the Roman Christians, because if they had converted to this new religion, it means that they were traitors to the Roman gods. Nero hated the non-Jewish Christians, but he hated all of them. And now he had Paul, the one convincing his Roman brothers to turn to Jesus. And Nero had Paul arrested. Nero had Paul transported back to Rome. And Nero ordered Paul's execution. And Paul was under house arrest there in Rome. You can go to Rome and see where Paul was held in arrest. You can go and visit that place today. But you can imagine Paul there in chains. You can imagine a 60-year-old, 60-something-year-old Paul having given his life, having given his health, having given his wealth and his energy and his, his reputation and everything to this Jesus movement. You can imagine at the end of his life when he's about to die, he has to be wondering, is this going to work? God, did I do enough? God, is it, is it going to last? Or were I, was I crazy to think that our little Jesus gathering could somehow survive the mighty Roman Empire? God, is, is Rome about to do to all Christians what Rome is about to do to me and what they would soon do to Peter? Paul had to be wondering as he looked around the city and still saw temples with images, temples that were dedicated, empire that was still dedicated to the worship of Mars and Jupiter and other parts that were still temples to Greek gods like Zeus and Diana. He had to wonder, is the movement of Jesus followers even going to last after I'm gone? And then on that final morning, Paul arose probably before the sun was up. And this, this would be Paul's last morning on the planet and as Paul got up that morning, he heard the footsteps outside of the Roman Praetorian guard coming to take him away. And they led Paul out of that room where he was held in arrest. And they began marching him down the Roman Forum Road to the place of his execution. And I want us just for a little bit this morning, if we could, to go back and to talk to Paul. I want us to give Paul a message of encouragement before Paul is executed. And I want your life and I want my life to exist as a testimony and an encouragement to Paul. Imagine with me, if you can, that we could be transported back in time and, and be walking there along with Paul as he has marched to his execution and tell him, Paul, it worked. Paul, my life is a witness that God's grace is still alive 2,000 years. Paul, the forgiveness and the mercies of Jesus. They're still alive in 2019, Paul. What you gave yourself to, it was worth it. Oh, come on. Can you give God praise before we go on? Come on. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 
And as Paul was marched probably along the same road, maybe even between those very columns right there that you can see in Rome, as you can imagine Paul, as he looked around that city, if we could to talk to Paul, to tell him, Paul, this same city with these same buildings all around, with all of the different images dedicated to different gods on tops of buildings all over the city, Paul, one day there will be crosses all over, but not to celebrate Rome, but to celebrate the death burial and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. If we could tell him, Paul, you know, over there, what we call the Colosseum now was called Nero's Circus. Paul, if you can imagine a Nero's Circus where he throws Christians to animals and wild beasts and has their bodies ripped apart and where he impales Christians on long stakes into the ground and pours oil and tar into their hair and lights them on fire while they are still alive and listens to their screams for pleasure. One day... Rome will be in ruins and Nero's circus will be in ruins and over the emperor's gate to, the, to Nero's circus or to the Colosseum, there will exist a cross hanging as a symbol of the victory of Jesus Christ and his church. Paul, one day Nero is going to crucify Peter. And tradition tells us that Peter asked to be crucified upside down. But Paul would tell Nero, or if we could tell Paul rather, one day there is going to be a monument built not to Nero and not to Rome or the emperors of Rome, but St. Peter's church will exist as a monument to the life that was given to the movement of Jesus Christ, maybe the most beautiful building in the world. Paul, someday, Paul, in this city, Paul, People from all over the world, all the nations in all the different languages will come to this city, but they won't come to ask where Nero is buried. They won't come to see where Caesar is buried, but they will ask from all over the world, will you show us where Paul was in prison? Will you show us the monument to Peter's life? Paul, I know that it's hard to imagine right now It's hard to imagine that there will one day be a day where there is no Rome anywhere in the world. But in almost every major city of every nation in the world, Paul, there will be Jesus gatherings because of what you gave your life for. Paul, all of those letters that you wrote and you sent off with couriers just hoping that they would somehow make it. Paul, history and archaeology have found these letters. And Paul, in 2019, on a Sunday, on a Super Bowl Sunday, all over the world, Paul, we will read of your faith and we will hear your words of inspiration and we will hear you proclaim, if God be for us, then who can be against us? Paul, It worked. Paul, it worked. Paul, one day, all over the world, people will gather, families will gather, and they will read out of a letter written by Luke and by Matthew, and they will mention the name of Caesar Augustus, but it won't be to tell his story. It will be a footnote in the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul, one day, People all over the world will name their children Paul and James and Peter and Andrew. And they will name their dogs Nero and Caesar. 
Paul, it worked. Could Paul have imagined the impact that his life would have? Could Paul have possibly known what hung in the balance of his faith and his dedication to the cause of Jesus Christ? I don't think Paul could have imagined. And I don't think we sometimes know or imagine or really even believe that God could make the same impact in our world through your life and through my life, through your witness and through my witness. Your prayers are not dead prayers. They are prayers to a living God. Your prayer's power doesn't depend on you. It's about the one that you're praying to. The The Holy Spirit that is alive on the inside of you is everything you need to live in victory, to walk in faith, to exist, believing and expecting the supernatural presence of God in your world. Oh, come on, all over this room. Can you stand and begin to exalt and begin to praise and begin to worship the name above every other name? Come on, can you begin to worship the Savior, the hope of the world, the light of the world? I'll come on, praise him a little while longer. Come on. Come on, the Spirit of God's in this moment. Come on. Come on, all over this room, be filled with the Spirit right now in the name of Jesus Christ. God, let your Spirit fall in a powerful way. God, baptize us. We are the church. Come on, close your eyes with me all over this room. Come on, say it. I am the church. Oh, come on, say it again. Come on, with your eyes closed. I am the church. Oh, come on, you might, you might dare to believe this one, but it's going to feel hard to believe for some of us. I want you to say this. I am what Jesus had in mind. Come on, say it. I Oh, come on, let's just worship. Come on, all over this room. Jesus, the glory is yours. Jesus, the glory of yours. The glory is yours. Jesus, the glory is yours. Paul had written at one time, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the glory might be of His and it might not be ours. 
I don't know about you, but there are times I don't feel very worthy of being the church. I don't know about you, but there are times I don't feel really very deserving of the privilege and the honor I've been called to. But I think Jesus meant it that way. I think Jesus meant for each and every one of us to realize and to humbly acknowledge every single day of our lives that we possess this treasure in earthen vessels. That though I might be small in myself, my God is so big. That though I may be weak and incomplete in myself, my God is strong. And at the end of me, I find Him. And I am His church. And you, you're His church. And we together are His church that He might get all the glory. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.